greetings of the day we're excited to bring this podcast to you that focuses on how education leaders have centered equity in their organization this is where dr linda nathan sits down with education leaders to look at their specific experiences of leading this work welcome to episode 1 Hi there. Thanks so much for being with us. I I really appreciate you making the time. Let's start with you just saying your name and what you do. Hi, I'm Heidi Cook. I'm the principal of the Mariah L Baldwin School, which is a preschool to 5th grade school just north of Harvard Square. For that, I taught in Boston and I taught in Seattle. Uh, my name is Brandon Carr. I taught for two years at the school where I am currently the assistant principal. Um, before that, I moved from out of state, where I was a teacher for 12 plus years. Uh, my name is Jalani Tamara, and I work for a university here in Boston as the associate director of community engaged teaching and research. Let's hear an excerpt from Dr. Linda's conversation with Heidi Cook. All right. So, um, can you give us one or two specific examples of how you've centered equity in your organization? We did um, an equity audit or an equity self-assessment, and the one that we used is put out by an organization. I believe you pronounce it MAC. and you can run it as an audit they when you do it internally it's really called a self assessment and essentially it takes you through several sections of questions that talk about belonging that talk about you know educational academic um access you know the way this is a different families um find the communication and if you're to be able to really answer those questions honestly and come to consensus which is what we did you really need to make sure that you have a group of people who can represent a wide range of voices it was not easy and it was not pretty what the results that we came out with particularly hard for white staff most definitely was to understand that they weren't privy to the whole picture that compassion and commitment to equity for some of them didn't necessarily translate to equitable outcomes or i still go back to that self assessment and look to see both how we're doing but also use it to help set priorities one of the ones that really was hard for people was the idea of families feeling welcomed because our school is good at it and so good at it for so many families so i think because there had been you know that extra step taken um there was this feeling like well we we've done those extra steps so that just needs to be enough even though we had some families saying we see those extra steps and those extra steps make your school more welcoming than other schools and we didn't feel welcomed if they don't feel like they belong all of the minutes in the world won't matter so you know for us that looks like centering outdoor experiences local excursions overnight experiences when we can um and really thinking about how we make those accessible um for all families and what we do to layer so that families who don't feel as comfortable find ways to to access those opportunities um from that we've worked backwards to figure out you know if they are critical experiences what elements of it can you lose and the actual sleeping overnight 
in some cases you can actually lose that. And for some families, you know, we need to. And so, you know, instead of going to the nature's classroom in Cape Cod, we now go to the nature's classroom in Groton because we can take kids home at night. And so we'll have kids come and stay till 10. And then, you know, we'll figure out how to get them home if we need to. And for some families, just being, you know, 45 minutes away was enough to say, okay. But we had um, nearly 100% participation in this last overnight with several kids going home at 10 o'clock with pickups and the families were thrilled that was an option. Let's listen to Brendan's experiences of doing this work. In, in our school, it is primarily, uh, I would say close to 90% um, Latinx students. And we have a, a lot of our staff share those the similar um, identities with our students. However, they are in positions of paraprofessionals or co-teaching positions. Um, and they, and across our district, they don't often get opportunities to move into full-time teaching roles where they are the content experts. Um, so I think at our school, we have really made it a priority to try and promote teachers from within our school who are actually from the community who share identities with our students. Um, we actually ended the past school year with some very targeted professional development for our whole staff uh, around um, white dominant culture characteristics and how they were showing up in our relationships with each other as an adult staff, but also how they were directly impacting the work or our approach to our students in the classroom. Um, we really wanted to get our staff of color to be able to share their voice and, and share what the experience working within our school community felt like from their perspective. And we all, and we asked for some specific scenarios that they had either experienced themselves, had overheard. Uh, and we used those scenarios when we brought our entire staff back together to say like, this is the experience that people who you work with and the impact that these types of phrases and statements are having on our staff and our students. So there were some, several phrases were just about having low expectations for our students. So we really tried to go deeper and analyze these. So one specifically that comes to mind would, one, one staff member was overheard saying, well, the Spanish kids just don't even care about learning English. And they and they probably can't and they probably don't even want to. They're not even trying. We we as an instructional leadership team felt that the time was just right. We had a lot of staff members who were so thankful that we opened up the conversation. And even for this for our staff who might have been uncomfortable or or, or unwilling to engage at first by the by the by that last staff meeting, we got some really positive feedback and have a great foundation to start or to continue that work going into the next school year. As an entire staff, we, we use the multicultural organizational development stage model to have our staff identify from their own perspective where they felt our school lied within that model. Um, and the results were pretty interesting. We had um, a majority of our staff placed us in the compliance stage. Traditionally, people who have held power know that they have power and use that power to manipulate or take advantage of certain situations. Um, 
and that staff of color kind of conform or assimilate to the culture that has already existed. 50% of our staff, staff of color and our white staff members both placed us in that organization. So working in education, I think all of us are guilty of perpetuating some of these characteristics at times just because the organization itself has been a white dominant run organization. I would strongly suggest just opening up the conversation and using the multicultural organizational development stage. Um, one thing that we found very beneficial was that it provided everyone with some common language around, you know, how to address some of these characteristics when they show up, whether that's in a meeting or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or just you heard something in passing. Um, what's your reaction to that? What was hard for you as a leader of color? I wouldn't volunteer to do it unless it was something I wanted to do. And I, and I really do enjoy it. It is exhausting at times, especially because if I am consistently the one who is bringing it to the forefront of conversations and, and addressing it in the moment when it's happening, then, you know, then that, that can backfire on you. And that is something that I have to constantly think about and be aware of. But like I said, I really enjoy it. And, and if it got to a point where I didn't feel comfortable or didn't or wasn't able, like capacity wise, to take it on in the moment, I would speak up and, and voice that concern. We now have Jalane Tamaraj sharing her experiences. So can you give one or two examples of how you've centered equity either in your organization currently or in any previous work? I um, would like to reflect upon um, the time that I was leading a uh, an educator prep program um, that they, the staff there were, were very, in a lot of ways, fixed in their mindsets and their understandings about kind of what good teaching looks like. I was brought in with an understanding that the organization wanted and needed to go in a new direction. As soon as I started in that summer of 2020, I embarked on uh, developing an anti-racist um, agenda. I looked at things like our uh, curriculum that we taught to our prospective teachers, um, our hiring, our recruitment, retention, um, and hiring practices, um, our assessment and evaluation. And in that, you know, at least the first year that I was there, we did a lot of fact finding. I guided them in doing personal introspection, trying to uncover implicit biases that people had. Um, and then importantly, like allowed us to do a, a self-study of our organization and our organization's practices. You know, just that process of looking inwards was very triggering, it, not only for me, but, you know, really for the entire staff. And so when we critiqued aspects of the program and looked at it through an anti-racist lens or an equity-centered lens, um, and we identified places, I mean, and we didn't have to look very far, like we had a much lower completion rate in the program for our candidates of color than we did for our white candidates. And um, it ultimately, like, you know, became 
became a, a difficult thing that we weren't able to like move beyond. And yes, unfortunately, you know, we were we had to just kind of put it on the back burner after a while. And I'll, I'll own the misstep of um, not starting with relationship building right. uh, and, and really being intentional about that. Uh, I think it was difficult for a couple of reasons. Like there was a lot of urgency um, around kind of like jumping into this work because of where we were in the summer of 2020. Um, also relationship building for us was challenged because I entered the organization during a time when we weren't meeting in person. You know, a lot of my other work and writing, I, I talk about confianza and this is like a grounding kind of principle in establishing partnerships or relationships. You have to have mutual trust and reciprocity and you're entering this dynamic as, you know, an equal partner in the work. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, this was wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining us with this podcast. Uh, we wish you a great day.